Hey folks, welcome to Unsung. Hopefully we will not fuck up this week like we did last week. Potentially. They might not know about that, but... (laughs) They definitely know about that if they've been paying attention. (laughs) Is is we passive-aggressive? It was me, it was I that lost the audio. Um, But I blame Zoom. I blame Zoom. Zoom, the weird video conference call system, but Zoom, the supposedly high-end audio recording uh, (laughs) manufacturer. Yeah, that was... I mean, that is really not, that's knocked the window at missiles to such an extent that I am. Um, it's going to take me a bit to get going tonight. That <laughs> 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 was, was heavily, heavily cheesed off after that last uh, recording collapsed. Yeah, no, we went quite deep on the Cocteau Twins. And we did. We're going to have to do it again at some point, and oh. we don't want to make it really miserable for the listeners, so we're going to have to wait until well, we're... Uh, we, can't, we can't do the Cocteau Twins, then. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean... Uh, um, unfortunately, it'll never be the same again, because yeah. we've lost the element of surprise, there was a lot of like reveals and a bit of a face-slash-heel turn. Well, what I still think that we should do is, because we still have my audio what? and Mark's audio, is just edit that together, and then you just riff over the top of it, <laughs> and try and fill in what you think you would have been saying and I think that'll be quite an interesting uh, take. Can you imagine imagine the mischief I would get up to if you guys <laughs> let me actually do that <laughs> I mean you could easily do more mischief than you do as Already editor. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've talked many many times about doing a supercut of all the burps and farts and noises and squeaks and ums and ohs and, uh, I, I'm not ashamed of the human body and, am I. and it's many noises so you know you can't shame me into that you can't embarrass me I mean uh, I feel like you've thrown down the gauntlet there but um okay yeah I'll take that uh, so take a word on that I was thinking right uh, because this is an episode on a rather large band maybe we should actually introduce ourselves because there's going to be a lot of new listeners in a particular episode well and then they won't last the whole episode I don't think but they will be think, at the start I don't think they'll be back yeah, yeah. Uh, okay I am Willie Watcher yes Willie Watcher <laughs> I'm Skeet Ulrich <laughs> <laughs> and I am Unsang right uh, now I'm Chris that's David the other one's Mark this is Unsung we're going to somehow attempt to make Metallica work in the context of a podcast that tries to champion unsung or underrated albums, or at least yes. one of us is contesting contending that, uh, and the rest are going to look on incredulously. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I think so, <laughs> David. Why the so freak this, did this, you pick it, this, this album? This is like a bit of a. Sp- uh, what's the reason we're doing this? Why? Because it wasn't my <laughs> well, turn. Well, it's because it's like lies the question. So well, yeah, that's that's the next. But part why have you it. allowed me to do this? The next part of this is going to be that uh, this is actually our third birthday. This episode, so we've been mm-hmm. doing this for three fucking years. One hundred and fifty episodes. Actually, it should be one hundred and fifty-one, but we we just lost one. Yeah. Um, Ah, oh, I know that Sod's Law. Like you get to your the, the week before your birthday, and that's the episode, the first one that you you lose in yeah. three years. So um, when when we did our first birthday. Chris picked uh, Meantime by Helmet which the the name Unsung comes from mm-hmm. last year I subjected these two guys and a room full of people to pop punk mixtape <laughs> 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 and uh, we thought well David's, David's turn this year let's get this out the fucking way <laughs> I mean David at the best of times picks contentious titles yeah but I mean this has been talked about for a while and I bring it up quite a lot yeah and you do I mean with good reason I mean I remember when Mark first messaged me you know three and a half years ago saying oh I'm thinking of starting a podcast to be talking about albums that we you know think deserve a reappraisal 
I like straight away I was like oh I like St Anger <laughs> <laughs> there you go and that's the cat out of the bag that's the album that we're doing this week So, St. Anger by Metallica. Wait, when, come see, back, come back, come back, come back, don't leave. Don't leave. <laughs> see, when you say the name, do you not just hear him saying it? Yes. Because, <laughs> well, right, I mean, I'll get to that. That'll be part three of my defence of St. Anger. <laughs> oh, uh, fuck. Is the fact that there are many memorable hooks, hummable lines, memorable riffs, catchy melodies, um, and we'll, we'll go through that. Um, I think that's a very positive spin on what I was <laughs> suggesting, which is that the phrase St. Anger doesn't exist anywhere else in common usage, and they were just stupid enough to kind of patent it. And therefore Whoa, now, <laughs> look, some of the poeticism on this album is... <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> All right, so this is the direction we're going. Okay, bloody-mindedness. <laughs> right, okay, okay. Metallica. Well, so, wait, so yeah, we, I we guess got, we should talk about Metallica a little bit. I mean, we have fucked with Metallica once before we actually did a radio show prior to the lockdown and covid uh, we had a radio show where we would take a band and kind of look at the bands that were in their orbit and one week we did metallica for that and it didn't involve as much of a deep dive into their history but it did involve us pulling bits and bobs out of their catalogue which clearly the, ho- the elephant in the room that we can not discuss was st anger well actually metallica have kind of got a room full of ele- elephants now st anger was one of those elephants uh yeah so we- we've done a a bit on them which was about as much as I thought I'd ever have to do in Metallica. But I guess, I guess the other thing is, the other elephant in the room is the fact that we are three white guys in our 30s who listen to heavy music and none of us like Metallica. <laughs> 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 Which is weird because they are the biggest metal band of all time. Like the Black Album is the biggest selling album of the SoundScan era. Uh, many point to them as being the most influential metal band, uh, particularly, certainly in terms of um, post 80s, and maybe a direct influence. You know, on metal bands now, I guess you could say Black Sabbath are the most influential heavy metal band. But I get, I'm guessing more people in metal bands picked up guitars or started playing drums because they liked Metallica. Yeah, hmm. and none of us like them. Is that just because we're contrary? Uh, can, uh, can can you expand on a point by the way just very quickly you said the sound scan era define yeah so the sound scan era is um in america when they started basically recording sales since 1991 like barcodes right using using barcodes and stuff yes yeah, so yeah. yeah basically they collect the data every week um looking at films music and in terms of music it's from like the the billboard music charts you know, in the 70s and 80s and before that, they would just get uh, record shops to say, oh, how many do you think you've sold? Or <laughs> count how many they sent out and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas since 1991, it's been confirmed sales via barcode. So I, um, I can give you yeah. a little bit more detail on how that works if you want. <laughs> Probably not. Work no, <laughs> pro- I mean, we're, we're hemorrhaging listeners already. Come back, come back. Let's come back. <laughs> but no, it's interesting. I mean, you are probably right. Yeah, I mean... Even just anecdotally, if someone was to say who do you think's the biggest selling rock band of that post nineteen ninety one time, yeah, it's probably them, isn't it? There's yeah. probably a few other close ones like Guns N' Roses and Nirvana and mm-hmm. uh, U two, I guess. Even after that year, we're probably still selling pretty big, but 
Yeah, Metallica. But it's interesting you know. that Metallica, like the commercial peak, was that album in 1991. Um, for most people, their artistic peak were the four albums before that, mm-hmm. um, because they basically were co-creators of thrash metal and one of the the big four, and probably the biggest of the four of uh, thrash metal, Megadeth, yeah. Anthrax, and Slayer being the others. Yeah, the Bay Area. Uh, you know, and they only actually moved to San Francisco because of Cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, he, they he refused. Yeah. He refused to move to them. He was like, "If you want me, you have to come and get me." Yeah. Um, I was going to say, um, Chris, one of the things you've often said in this podcast is, is, is it a band or monos? Um, mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then it's probably not in song. But I would probably go one step further and say if you say, if you ask what metal music is to anyone that is not into that kind of music, Metallica is going to be the answer. Um, I actually read an interview from 2017 or 2007, I can't remember. Basically, James Hetfield was talking about how. He makes this really bold claim about how Metallica is now the mainstream. The mainstream mm. came to them, they didn't go to it. I mean, there's, you could definitely argue whether that's true or not, like, till the cows mm. come home. But he's right in one sense. You know, mainstream metal music exists because of this band, like, and I think without that, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. I mean, I don't want to give too much away about my mother. <laughs> but uh, maybe, and maybe it's the British bias, but I think if I said to her, just name a heavy metal band, she'd say Maiden. Mm. Yeah, I think my mum would say Maiden or Sabbath. So anyway, but not, not to not to piss on your parade there, Mark. You're probably right. Mums all across the USA would probably say Metallica. You're right. <laughs> uh, but okay, what do you guys make of Metallica? Early doors. I mean, we have to get in here somewhere, so we might as well start there. Opinions. Uh, I, I was actually. It's been an interesting week because we only we only decided to do this like in the middle of last week. <laughs> Usually, we have a bit longer to do other research and stuff. Um, I didn't put as much time as this into the research as I did when we did the radio episode, and I think some of it's actually grown on me a little bit since then. Um, my flatmate's a huge Metallica fan, especially the first the first four albums, or the really three, like Red Lightning, Master Puppets, and and Justice for All. He fucking loves all three of those records, and um, and he's listening right now. So hi, Craig. <laughs> uh, but it actually struck me having done a lot of well, a few metal records in this podcast and expanded my metal listening over the course of the past couple of years because of this podcast and just finding stuff that comes off the site off you know for the bands that we do so many bands still play the same fucking riffs and time signatures and styles like no matter what kind of metal it is and it all comes from those first four albums and I think that's pretty stunning um, and I actually over the past couple of weeks I've got a, a slightly new appreciation for them I think um, which is I never thought I'd say because I'm not a huge Metallica fan at all but I would assume we probably think that because we are total sort of charlatans that aren't really invested in the band or in that scene um, I, certainly when we did the, the radio show I was under the impression that Metallica themselves had lifted quite a bit or they they were they were the kind of product of, a, of an environment and a, and a musical movement they weren't solely the pioneers of it and that they were I mean they were touring and they were huge fans of bands like Diamond Head and stuff like that and there was a lot taken from it so I get your point yeah a lot of the, the riffs and stuff are recycled and they're no no doubt the people that platformed a lot of those ideas in the biggest way but I think a lot of those ideas were already there
Um, albeit, you know, they used them and popularised them and made them maximise their, their impact, undoubtedly. I, yeah. I think one thing that you can definitely say about Metallica is they're very good at branding and marketing. Mm-hmm. Because, like, of course Metallica are overrated because they are the most rated metal band of all time. But, like, history's sort of rewritten them as these sole creators of thrash metal. You know, they got the, their album out before Slayer and stuff like that. When in actual fact, you go back to 81, 82 and bands like... Obviously, they were into Maiden and Motorhead and stuff like that. Um, and Diamond Head. But then there were bands like Raven... Uh, accept um, and then they were touring with you know contemporaries at the same time Metallica's first record was not a huge you know a giant leap for metal what it did do was it put it into a very nice package like they've got the logo the production was you know a little bit tighter they've got the the song titles they've got the album title all these things that appeal to 18 year old skateboarders and you know headbangers and stuff like that they've got the image on top of collecting all of the the best bits of um of the genre and the thing that I noticed on those first four records, what they do have musically is uh, chug. <laughs> yes. Like if they've added anything, and if one person has solely um, in Metallica has moved anything forward, then it's James Hetfield's rhythm guitar. Uh, I think he is the one that stands out. And the technicality um, of his riffs as well. Like obviously there are other bands around, and he, he owes a lot to Dave Mustaine. I think as a mm-hmm. player. But I think what what him and Kirk often do is essentially a really fast thin Lizzie ripoff with a bit of Maiden chucked in and the heavier grunty stuff, you know. And I think that really works for them. They, they, like, it's like you said, they tightened up the whole package of what was going on with the new move, of, new wave of British heavy metal thrash that was happening at the time, hardcore punk, which they obviously all loved as well, and, and just I, chucked it together. I, I have to say that again, I, I want to emphasise these are. Uh, opinions from the the outskirts of Metallica, but I, f- I feel like one of the things they did that, that gave them a bit of success was that they muddied and dirtied it up a wee bit. Um, they were a little bit unrefined. I mean, Maiden always were quite, I mean, very gifted, like technically, mm-hmm. and I mean, Metallica are not equally blessed, shall we say? And mm-hmm. I think they also had a kind of slightly uncouth, raffish approach to it that worked. It was a wee bit. Grimier, um, it was a wee bit more analog than than some of the other bands that we're talking about. Um, but, but, you know, the thing about Metallica, right, that that really stands out to me, and I've obviously been immersed in them for the for the purposes of this, but it's just always been a kind of abiding impression. Have you ever seen the uh, the Looney Tunes cartoons where there's like a it's like a dog, I think, that's taking care of a baby, all right, and then it drop it, it loses the baby maybe in a building site and the baby gets like picked up by a crane and then it gets dropped on like a, a girder and it, it, it walks along I think the there's girder. a whole movie of that called Baby's Day Out I think. okay yeah, okay exactly it's live so, action in the, from the 90s right so yeah you're right there is actually so the, the, the Looney Tunes original version of Baby's Day Out just because Baby's Day Out I seem to recall was horrible 
where it's like the baby knew absolutely nothing about what was going on and it was always like moments from oblivion but it just seemed to you know a girder would swing by or like something fortuitous like it would fall and it would land in a mattress that would bounce it on it metallica are so fucking dumb the guys are so fucking dumb it's the it's the it's the overwhelming impression that and actually when i one exception is I think Jason Newstead is reasonably uh, with it, but the other guys are so stupid. I mean, it's one of the reasons that Some Kind of Monster was such a big hit. And I'm not saying that they're actually particularly unlikable, because weirdly, like, one of the things about that film was that I actually ended up liking them a lot more than I did prior to that film. Um, especially Lars Ulrich, who I actually don't think comes out of that film looking too bad. Um, but... Uh, the, the point is, I, I don't think these guys are the architects of any master strokes. I think they were in the right place at the right time. They were a bunch of young metalers, definitely not the most gifted metalers even on that scene. Um, although Cliff was obviously had, had amazing jobs, and that's why the three were willing to go to him, move the mountain to Muhammad uh, to, to get his sort of ability into the band and get them that initial head start. Um, but They've never. They, they've always struck me as that baby bumbling around the building site, just sort of getting lucky. I mean, even in this album, you know, this album is a. It's a kind of a joke. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that that completely makes all this conversation moot, but it's kind of a joke. It's stupid as fuck. I mean, everything about it is stupid as fuck. Doesn't mean it's not enjoyable because most of the new metal is stupid as fuck, and we've talked about that at length. But they just somehow managed to make it work, even their idiotic album turned into something that people still bought en masse and even their S&M project or Lulu or fucking all these other travesties, this bumbling baby of a band managed to just bounce off a fucking mattress into like 20 million sales on these jokes of fucking projects and I think it must be, I mean see when you see Dave Mustaine interviewed in Some Kind of Monster he is the Frank Grimes character that's obviously spent his whole life just railing against like how can you take them seriously? They're fucking morons. They're fucking morons. And he's right. But you see, you see, hang on, just you see how much that has eaten him up in that film. Like he's just so broken. Like didn't it, didn't you realize what you did to me watching you succeed? Where no matter how well I did, no matter how whatever I tried. I mean, that guy's entire career was motivated by trying not to be left behind by this band that horsed them out in the in the fucking early hours of the morning. And I think that's fascinating because they they are incredibly fortuitous and incredibly stupid. And I think when I listen to St. Anger, I'm going to just put this out there. I don't get that what, that takeaway thing of people being like, oh my God, this album is so stupid. The lyrics are so stupid. The songs are so stupid because Metallica have always been so fucking stupid. Like I think one has to be one of the worst bits of music ever fucking written. Yeah, everybody takes it seriously. And I don't hear that 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 is any worse or sorry I don't hear that St. Anger is any worse than one it's consistent it's a through line okay it does have stupid snare sounds and stuff but that's kind of going to be a theme for me I just I just don't get the absurd departure here it's just like this is a terrible fucking band I hate this fucking band uh, I get that they're significant in people's lives for a, a lot of what they consolidated that was happening but I mean as a band in and of itself they're really fucking lucky idiots well, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but thrash metal was never meant to be some sort of cerebral pastime. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it is what it is. It's um, headbanging and drinking beer and turning your brain off 
and sticking the cassette in the car for a road trip you know this isn't music to be studied <laughs> and um that's incredibly difficult to play though at that speed for that long well yeah absolutely i mean it athletically <laughs> it is a feat yeah um and the speed as well is you know that's yeah. one of the, the, the for me that's one of the key things I like about Thrash Metal but I mean that's why so many people connected with them because they were impressed by the musicality of it you know mm, or the athleticism I mean, of it maybe to, 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 to your average it was yeah to your average punter maybe but to your speed metal player or your thrash metal player not really I mean in the spectrum of like really gifted bands they're not they're not really oh, no, high I up. I mean, Kurt, no, no. Yeah, I, don't mean, I don't mean Metallica. I don't mean Metallica. I don't mean Metallica. I mean like kind of that kind of music in general. Okay, okay, um, yeah. Talking yeah. about high school kids picking up a guitar for the first time, mm-hmm. and you was, know, you Metallica being as influential as they are, and like you know, defining a genre that isn't there to be deep. I was going to actually disagree with you slightly, Chris, because my outlook is a little bit more cynical than even yours. Um, <laughs> Good luck I with think, that. Um, Lazuric comes from money and there's, there's a story that floats around I think it's apocryphal I'm not entirely sure because I've not read any literature around the Metallica but um, that he spent a long time like sleeping on couches in London trying to get the band a record deal which eventually they got with I think it was Metal Blade, uh, Metal Blade um, for the f- no Music music for Nations it was um, in, in, the, in, the, in Europe which is eventually what led them to get signed to a major label Electra in America because Megaforce just couldn't keep up with them you know that guy that guy's a singularly driven kind of person, right? I don't think it was luck. I think because the trajectory of Metallica is insane. Like, they started in 1981 and their first album was out two years later. Mm. They must have only played... They, they couldn't have toured a lot. They would not have played a whole bunch of shows. They did a demo, then got signed to Megaforce Records, then did an album. I think that... Yeah, but he... So I think it's a bit more so calculated than that. Gap, fill in that gap a wee bit. Like, So he had advertised wanting to start a band. So Lars yeah. was like the, the Origins guy. Mm-hmm. James mm-hmm. had answered... By the way, apparently James was so fucking cripplingly shy back then that yeah. I think this informs some of his later behaviour. Um, but uh, Lars had then gone and spent time in the UK with Diamond Head and the guys for Diamond Head quite liked him and they were like, come over here, hang out, got a bit of experience, went back to the States teamed up with James who was was he in a fucking band called uh, Leather, Leather Charm Leather Charm yeah <laughs> amazing yep. uh, but yeah so it, yeah you're right he was he was motivated but as were a lot of metal kids at the time but he was yeah, also he also he, had money he came from privilege though right he That's did he things. had a bit of money and all, he, he, funnily enough had the least of the talent I mean that is still a yeah, total clearly. meme <laughs> with fucking metal drummers generally Lars Ulrich's drumming is well, it's 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 pretty fucking basic, isn't it? So mm-hmm. uh, uh, you're right. It's he made up in determination, and that's even what, what Hetfield says. Like this guy was fucking really, really motivated, and that 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 got them on board. And that's how Cliff agreed to join. And Cliff is already clearly a fucking far better. Um, and Mustaine as well. I mean, Mustaine in the early days was was really good and really positive force in the writing. It was interesting. Um, and just before I let that point about James Hetfield's character. Uh, vanish. It was interesting, I think, in, in some kind of monster when they spoke about James had adopted this very macho. I mean, f- I mean, in that fucking film, for example, he fuck it. There's a bit about him going away and shooting a bear, and and they're like, well, like Kirk's like, did you eat it? What does bear taste like? He's like, oh no, we couldn't eat it. He's like, so he just shot it. And he's like, yeah. And it's like this this whole kind of bravado alcoholism. Like in the mid eighties, he's going around the stage spitting and talking about being drunk, and that was so. It was so different 
from the young guy that apparently could barely say hello and look at Lars when he first met him. Mm. And he thinks that was a lot of, like, the the, the machismo was really uh, encouraged with Mustaine. The two of them really sort of amplified each other in that, and that became, like, a big feature of that kind of music generally. Same with Slayer and bands like that as well, Anthrax even. Um, although I think they seem, like, a bit more affable. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting quality of it as well, that there was a... The, the Hetfield completely changed his character and probably it's part of why he ended up such a fucking addict as well so, such an yeah. alcoholic I think one through line that kind of plays into that as well and it probably speaks to quite a lot of their musical choices throughout their career is like for the most part Hetfield and Ulrich have never grown up they're still <laughs> they're still they're still well they've never teenagers. grown up and they both also have ended up with massive egos mm. yeah they they admit that though i mean that that it's, yeah i'm not going to be their defense attorney here but like they they fucking freely admit that mm-hmm. but that, that 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 feeds into the, the kind of music they write you know bands like slayer and stuff that try to do things a bit differently and start writing about other topics and push the envelope in terms of what they could do metallica did something similar but they got slower and simpler <laughs> Because it's like, well, where can we really go from here? Well, you know? they, they, they couldn't get more technical. That was the thing. If, if they'd gotten more technical, they would have had to have gotten rid of Lars. And that clearly couldn't happen because he was the, the, the core of that band, really. And mm-hmm. so I think they had no choice but to go into kind of balladry and, and slow things down. They were that, that career decision, I think, was determined by the people involved, not by a sort of, any sort of like particular choice. I mean, how could they have sped up? He was struggling to keep up anyway. There's so, so many videos of him absolutely fucking botching uh, <laughs> the sets. It's, it's hilarious. So, you know, it's funny. I just thought, like, maybe this is some sort of post-aware hipster view that Lars Ulrich is shit. Or, you know, it's something that we've only just realised now. But has he always been shit? He's, In the I 80s, think... did people, other drummers go and look look at him and go, oh, he is shit. Or did he manage to pretend? I don't know. This is where Metallica are an anomaly for me, right? Because the great bands have great drummers usually, and he's not a great drummer. He's he's decent on record. So he's probably comped like fuck on the record, to be honest. Um, and his style of drumming in the eighties is still super influential on in multiple genres today. Just the stuff that he was doing because it's so stripped back and simple, and some of the fills and, and the way that he plays and all that is slightly different from other jazz drummers. Paul. Uh, other jazz drummers <laughs> no. they are very different very from jazz drummers <laughs> no. agreed uh, unanimously agreed <laughs> uh, from other thrash drummers because of his I'm not going to say physical limitations although that may be part of it but you know technical limitations and there's see if you read through the history of their albums like he, he every single producer they've worked with has like tried to help him be a better drummer you know, he, he actually <laughs> loves jazz music. He's he's got a mass. Apparently, he's got a massive, a massive encyclopedic knowledge of music in general. He's a, a proper music fan. Yeah. Um, he actually said he wanted to fucking play drums for uh, No Gallagher's band because he fucking loves that. It's just he's, he's a weird, weird dude, right? But <laughs> you know, you know, reached what, a, um, he reached a limit of his talents fairly early. Hetfield as a songwriter and as a player obviously didn't. You know what? You know what? Kirk did Hammett, me of obviously a didn't either. I, there, I feel like there's a through line between Metallica and Mogwai, right? Because Mogwai have a similar situation where they've got a very, very fucking limited drummer. But they actually really wrote to that. It determined the format of the music. So Mogwai, instead of turning into Do Makes You Think, or something really wildly technical and jazzy, we're, we're kind of like, okay, this is this is the people in the band, this is what we've got to work with, and this is going to determine some of our t- artistic decisions. But it sort of gave them their own sound. And they became 
the Metallica of post-rock, really. I mean, they are the, the biggest face of post-rock and they've written great music within those confines. Well, it has been interesting, like, over the last week, like, studying them critically because, yeah, I never got into Metallica as a teenager at the same time as, you know, fuck, I was in Iron Maiden when I was five and then I got into Pantera when I was 12. Why was I not into Metallica when all of my pals that were into heavy metal were into Metallica? Yeah, I... I think it is just down to Lars and the decisions that he makes and it just totally throws me off them. I just don't connect with their energy basically or their, there's just something that I just cannot get and I never come out of listening to Metallica and want to go back and to listen, listen to more. You know, that headbanger feeling that you get listening to fucking Slayer or something like that. Put Metallica on and my head will remain completely still. You know, that's the it's thing really weird. Slayer are intimidating though. That's the thing, Slayer have a genuine intimidation factor and so did like later Pantera uh, there was a genuine sense of them being a bit the kind of wrongings and sort of uh, yeah. something really quite dark about them at times. And uh, Metallica were just—I'm I, 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 just being overwhelmingly negative here—but they were just kind of funny. They, they were never genuinely intimidating. You don't listen to Metallica song and think it's going to corrupt your kids. You're like, oh, it's fine. It's Metallica. At least they're not listening to somebody properly dodgy. Yeah. And so I didn't have much appeal in that sense. It's mental to me that they didn't lean into that kind of goofiness that they obviously have as people because it worked really well for bands Iron Maiden and, and Judas Priest and all that. But what worked, you know? what, what worked even better for them was the naivety of it. Like That's the thing, Metallica took themselves very seriously and as a result they made this pompous fucking American kind of bluesed up metal rock that just went fucking huge. I mean, when you listen to the later stuff, like only a band that that hadn't quite grasped its own absurdity could actually make that music because if, like Iron Maiden, you'd grasped the kind of pantomime nature of your performance, you would lean into that. But Metallica never got that. So they continued to make this kind of bloated macho rock even when they slipped. There wasn't in. ever any irony involved. Exactly. And it's it's part of why they're so fucking huge because America just doesn't get that. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, Metallica are like the American band of the last 30 years. And in the 80s, they were sort of quite dominant, powerful. You know, you look at American movies at the same time and they were all stupid <laughs> with, Ar- you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Shit, shit blowing up. I mean, just like a Metallica Yeah, exactly. Concert. And it was just like that. <laughs> then in the 90s, I guess we'll talk about them as people. In the 90s, um, they slowed down, got a bit longer, became a bit more true lies, whereas before yeah, that, they'd, they'd, they'd been more commando. Yeah, I get it. Aye, exactly. <laughs> do you want to do you want to go through the albums? Alright, let's go through the albums. It's a good yeah. skeleton to build off, and then we can skate yeah. through the albums, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so it starts with Kill 'Em All, right? Yeah, nineteen eighty-three. To me, it still sounds a bit like um, a, a new wave of British heavy metal records. It's fast, but it's still got a lot of that kind of... Yeah, there's not as much, like, Hetfield crunch in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the chug isn't quite there, but there are a few, like, decent riffs that come in on, like, Four Horsemen, pretty decent. But yeah, like, it still owes a lot to Motorhead. It owes a lot to Judas Priest. 
not quite as much Maiden. It's a lot more stripped back than that. But yeah, the the sort of punkier new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, I think uh, I really like pulling teeth just because it's odd. It shouldn't be on the record because it's, it's basically all bass, right? Yeah, it's just a bass solo, basically, yeah. And it is the most interesting thing on it, by far, for me. Whiplash sounds a bit like, mm, like Morehead. A lot of it sounds a bit like Morehead, to be honest. Yeah, it does. Yeah. A better band. You know what, it's... <laughs> Yeah, Morehead were obviously quite a bit, a bit ironic, right? Um, but it never came across that way when they're on stage or in their music that much. I think I think it took a lot of a lot of influence. Well, they did take a lot of influence from Morehead, but even from the aesthetic as well, mm-hmm. you can see that they've got the same kind of vibe going on or trying to anyway. Uh, then eighty four came ride the lightning. Which is a year later. I think it's a good album, man. This this is like their first foray into credibility, right? Because the first one I know is like quite, it's quite niche and it's quite of the genre. But this one has like a sort of level of this kind of put them in the sort of big leagues of what was going on. Yeah, I mean the production was ramped up. You know, the drums were bigger, the guitars were huge, and they've got much more of a well, I don't. It's not a narrative, but it's like a overall theme. And it, yeah, it's just stupid metal darkness, but. It's kind of what they're going for. Yeah, it works um, for me as a as a Metallica record. It's, it's certainly amongst the best, if not the best. Is it? As uh, a me- a me- did you guys investigate the sort of ranker averages? Where did this one place? I thought this would be debatably top. This or well, I I, this is Ma- it's basically the next three are yeah. master uh, or mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is not a whole hell of a lot between this and Master Puppets, if I'm honest. Uh, I think the song the song is actually quite good on both those albums on this one is cool um, Ride the Lightning is a good song Dave Mustaine obviously co-wrote it it's pretty cool um, For Whom the Bell Tolls Fade to Black are classic still play them all the time Well For Whom the Bell Tolls is like the first slow Metallica Mm-hmm. To me, that's kind of what Metallica made their name and like stopped them being a thrash metal band, and yes. they became this pure American metal band that you know uncles were into and <laughs> not mm-hmm. uncles, fucking uncles. Yeah, they got, guess- the uncles got caught. Yeah, over the next few albums, these are the songs that get radio play, you know, and become sort of yeah soundtrack to. Was it um, Escape? On this one, was that the one they wrote in like three days and then didn't play it again ever until like 2012? Yeah, until, yeah, quite recently. The slow stuff is the slow ballady stuff is when they do start to become proper dads, right? You, when bands like Slayer go slow, it, it sounds properly evil. This does not. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. their use of like neoclassical and, and 
Baroque scales and stuff like that, it sounds cheesy rather than evil. <laughs> and on Master of Puppets, which is by many seen as like the landmark thrash metal record, some of that acoustic guitar is fucking dire, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jesus. It but, came out in the um, same year, Vain and Blood, that. Yeah, but it just highlights the, the difference in aesthetic. You know, Slayer just had such a fucking nasty streak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Master of Puppets, this is where I can split to not liking them because the guitar tone on that album has been hugely influential. Everything from fucking Fear Factory to Meshuggah to basically, you know, any tuned down metal band have taken that guitar tone of James Hetfield's rhythm guitar and improved on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I listen to so much music that has that chug. Yeah. But when I go to Master of Puppets, there's just something about it. There's It's too big, it's too condensed, it's too scoopy. Yeah, you, and it's too false. I don't know. You know, I'm, I feel really similar because Sepultura was the first really heavy band I got into. Yeah, and I was just told unanimously, right? Well, you need to go back and do your research and get into these albums before you and I was still like a young kid at the time and I went back to this expecting it to be like okay Revelation this was probably one of the main albums that influenced this record Chaos AD that I've just suddenly had my mind blown by and not at all mm-hmm. man I couldn't get into this at all I was just like this is silly this is dumb mm-hmm. like this doesn't this isn't anywhere near as fucking genuinely you know intimidating as, as stuff like Sepultura at least yeah. in the early days it does have good tracks on it, I think, though. I, lo- I, like, I love Battery. I think it's a really good song. Yeah, I mean, it's a popular uh, one right enough. Yeah, you still hear that. You still fucking stick that on in any sort of rock disco, man, and mm-hmm. people will lose their mm-hmm. shit. I also like Disposable Heroes a lot. But it's definitely at least three minutes too long. Most of the most Metallica songs are at least most two or three Metallica minutes too long. songs. And I mean, we're we're going to discuss <laughs> uh, "Sin Anger" the album later. So talking about songs that are too long, yeah, that is a theme that we will <laughs> cover again. Uh, yeah. And justice, I mean. Much maligned and justice for all. People <laughs> love it. People hate the production, and with good fucking reason because it's dreadful. Even the remaster sounds shit. Can I just say at this point we should mention the fact that Newstead came in? Yeah, yeah. So Cliff died in a tragic busing accident. Do you? But uh, one of the details that I'd never heard about that was that uh, he and Kirk had drawn cards for the bunk that Cliff ended up winning, and Cliff won that bunk. Supposedly, unless this has been exaggerated, with the by drawing the Ace of Spades, 
Oh, wow. I've never heard that. DJ. Yeah, that was uh, I was listening that's to a, a bio thing, and it's yeah. So Cliff drew the ace of spades and won the bunk, and that's the bunk that got him killed. Um, yeah, uh, you know what? There was also another really touching detail in that. Uh, it was Jason was getting interviewed, and he said that uh, when he turned up, he'd, he'd learned the set for that tour, and you know, and Lars was like, "This is great," really keen on it. But uh, Cliff Burton's mum and dad were there uh, at the audition, and they, he, Jason said they were so emotional and so uh, eager to be there to be part of passing the torch from what Cliff had been doing like he said he remembers I think the mum's name was Jan or June uh, and he said that she was like hugging him she was like son you're the one they want you're the one they want and and just like super nice and he said that even after that there were a few of the shows that uh, Cliff's mum and dad came to and they would always make a point of finding Jason and just asking him how he was getting on and saying that they were really proud of him and it was like it was actually really fucking touching, and you know the more you see Jason Newstead getting interviewed and stuff, he, I, I kind of like him. He comes across pretty well. Best singer, Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, the best drummer as well. <laughs> yeah. So this this album, uh, I know a lot of people that love this record, that really love this record, including this is a, like the hipster metaler's choice of Metallica record. I think Blackened is a screamer. I, there's something about that song I really like, and I don't know what it is. Ah, uh, no, I'm into it. I like, I like Black, and I actually like the title track as well. Yeah, it cool. is. It's way, It is more complex. They've. Well, when they go slow, they are sounding a bit more evil. It's a less, it's a little bit less cheesy. You know there are uh, there are seventeen time signatures in one. <laughs> and and none of them are good. <laughs> uh, the, also, like, I mean, the mix in this album was diabolical. Uh, Jason, oh, yeah, 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 famously terrible. Yeah, Jason said that uh, actually one of the shows during the tour, like it's just I don't know how the kid did it, but he said that someone approached them and gave him a copy of it with uh, the bass remixed in it. I don't know how that was possible. You can hear it on YouTube. Then. You can hear that on YouTube. Yeah, there's one on YouTube. Yeah, but he this is way way back, and he said this was like literally handed oh, really? to him backstage by a fan. And he remembers at the time being like, uh, this kid was like, you know, this is, here, here's how it should sound. And Jason was like, no, it sounds the way it should sound. It sounds like an album that was meant to change heavy metal. Uh, he was, even though there's no bass in it, he's, he's like, just leave it as it is. <laughs> yeah. It's um, interesting for me when I listen to this album because of that mix. It feels as though they're just ragging on Jason there. And I don't know why he would want to say that that's good because he is, he's probably was the most talented player aside from Kirk and uh, Kirk and the band thing. Speaking of Kurt, he really comes into his own on this record. This is when he becomes a legendary guitarist, I think. Yes, yeah, so Metallica obviously decided later on to do an album with no solos. <laughs> yes, of course, because <laughs> because Hetfield and Ulrich are obviously going to have their fucking their egos massaged. Yeah, uh, totally. So uh, I think uh, I think the Fred Ends of Sanity is pretty good. We actually played that on the radio as well.
Mm. Um, good song. I must have loved it. I can't remember mm-hmm. now. That was actually that by that was then the biggest underground metal album in America. The first underground metal album to break the Billboard top 100 or whatever, and it sold quite a few million. It's ended up selling eight million in the US. So considering it was kind of the, it's often looked down upon, um, and seen as the poor brother of that sort of thrash metal trio. Consider, considering it sounds like shit, let's call a spade the spade. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then after that, 1991, Metallica, uh, the Black Album, Black Album, yeah. So, hmm. <laughs> I mean, this—they just—they went from being a thrash metal band to being a heavy metal band. Metallica, like mm-hmm. this, is a defining <laughs> yeah. album, a defining sound. PK, this was like PK a product. MTV, yeah, it's like peak MTV, really yeah. like hitting it, hitting it big. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking back to the stuff with with Jason Newstead. Apparently, it was eleven days after he joined Metallica that the band played their first ever tour of Japan. Uh, but he, he he said that when the black album landed, um, he's like you you realised very quickly that things were totally different, total paradigm yeah. shift. He's like we were we were an international act suddenly on this record. He's like before yeah, that they, they became a stadium band. Exactly, you did world tours One of before the that in the world. He's like but now they were doing like Middle Eastern shows and fucking like just just everything. He was like you suddenly it was just it was a global thing, not just a successful American thing. And yeah, you know like Enter Sandman. It's up there with Stairway Most to Heaven in terms of like riffs played in guitar shops, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's like I'd hazard a guess it's maybe the most played metal song. Although, well, I, oh, there's probably some fucking sh- shit like Bring Me the Horizon that have got more Spotify plays. But you know, in terms of iconic metal songs, metal songs that your mum knows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up there. And it's not thrash at all. It's slow plodding metal, much like you know, sad but true. They've got like their um, fucking ballad comes out with the Unforgiven and nothing else matters. Yeah, they do have some sort of thrashy tunes on there, but I mean the production is so bloated and it's you know <laughs> so big in nineties. You know, you yeah, know very much so. You know one thing that Enter Sandman did, uh, it actually finally encapsulated this sort of meme of the crooning, grungy, heavy metal vocal. I mean, even mm. though that's very much associated with their like Pearl Jams and stuff like that, like James Hetfield owns that, and you know when. Um, when Trey Parker and Matt Stone, for example, released like a spoof metal tune on on South Park, that like that 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 all comes from that year of Metallica, where they really solidified this caricature of of macho sung metal. You know, it, it was it wasn't the hair metal, it wasn't like ah! none of the Bruce Dickinson stuff. It was that grunty, yeah. like the army could play it. Booming out a tank, yeah. you know, it was this 
yeah there's something that lends itself to memes on that track and on that album I think that really brings a lot of stuff together um, I think that um, Hetfield is more responsible for the closed vowel sound than any grunge band ever has been. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I don't like Lars is like a fucking giant Alice in Chains fan. I mean, like Dirt yes. is one of his absolute top albums of all time, and and certainly I think Alice in Chains were informed by the Metallica vocals to some extent. And yeah, I mean the grunge movement, even though in a lot of ways it was at loggerheads with hair metal, heavy metal, early metal scene, whatever. Uh, it did borrow from it quite a bit. And this album sl- slides right in there. This came out the same year as Nevermind, you know? So yeah. I don't think their timing was necessarily... I don't think it was meant, but the timing was perfect for them to become the biggest band in the world. Yeah, and Metallica didn't quite suffer from being a hair metal band. Yeah, they... they, they uh, you're right. or like glam rock, even like Guns N' Roses, they were sort of beyond that. Yeah. So they still had an element of legitimacy. They, they had less panto, and that's that thing. That naivety got them through, whereas... Uh, Iron Maiden to some extent, Guns N' Roses definitely to some extent, and definitely the likes of Poison and, you know, Motley Crue and that. They got caught in the net that got dropped for, you know, pompous, pretentious, stupid pantomime rock, you know, and Metallica managed to get through that net purely because of, you know, <laughs> a slightly stupid lack of self-awareness in the sense that they'd, they'd ignored this farcical nature to their own band, and so that self-belief or that ignorance kind of got them past the guards you know, they, mm. they turned up at the checkpoint and they were like, are you a hair metal band? And they genuinely were like, no. You know, even though they probably were to some extent, or at least could have been classed in with that realistically, they got through that fucking like watershed checkpoint just out of sheer stupidity, I think. <laughs> and speaking uh, of sheer stupidity, <laughs> <laughs> uh, load and... Can we just do load and reload together? Because, yeah. come on the fuck, guys. I mean... <laughs> It's interesting how shit these albums are. Uh, it's, like, not, it's really bad. I didn't yes. like. There's nothing interesting about them. I didn't know that they were so reviled. You know, see, when I went on the best of lists and I looked down at the bottom, I expected that Saint Anger to be there, and Reload was below it in almost every list. And I was like, "Wow, okay, they must people must really fucking hate that song, that that album." The only song I remember is Memory Remains. I never listened to any of that stuff. What was the one that was in the back of like a limo? Is that Mama? Oh, see, I, I don't remember when this came. Out. I was still there's there's like an, to there's, a, there's a albums. sort of acousticy, almost grungy alt rock song that's I think Hetfield sitting in the back of a limousine. I think it. it's Mama said. There's a song. Mama on said. It. A song yeah, on yeah, one. it is. It yeah. is. actually didn't hate that song so much but it was completely antithetical actually, to what I thought of this band you know I had Until It Sleeps on my mp3 player when I first uh, got one and first, yeah I quite like that song did it take up and most then, of the memory yeah exactly <laughs> uh, I actually think and I then, think Fuel is an amazing song by the way I fucking love that song I don't know why <laughs> it's pure dumb as fuck man it's, it's, it's just the stupidest fucking song yeah, that, 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 that opening fucking vocal thing man I mean, it's like yeah 
It's one of those, I mean, St Anger is very much an ironic van song for a lot of touring bands, and mine included. I've heard St Anger tracks most often in the context of my bandmates being a little bit stoned and being like, putting it on and be like, oh, that's fucking great. But you're right, Fuel, yeah. Fuel is another one that gets, that gets that kind of airplay. It's just stodgy blues rock for quite a lot of these two records. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, let's put a pin in this for now. We've fairly flown through Metallica's back catalogue and we've still got a few more albums to get to before we get some anger. So let's take a wee break for this week and we will come back and pick this up next week. So Chris is going to go away and pirate the entirety of Metallica's back catalogue to edit this episode. So yeah, join us next week for St Anger Part 2. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.